0: Hello folks and welcome to yet another 2023 Tech London podcast and in the studio today, we're going to get right into it today because we, you know, Olivia's car is on double yellow lines outside her uh, office. So Olivia, what are you known for and what would you like to be known for?
1: Uh, Thanks for having me Bernie, great to see you. So I guess I'm known for trying to drive business as a force for good as a really kind of broad term. Um, I want to be known for being able to help people affect systems change at scale um, and use business to transform how work and uh, connect people
0: and planet that's good I, I want to jump on that business as a force for good because there's, there's a kind of there's, there's this in my opinion there's this kind of apprentice dragons Denny you know alpha male Donald Trump knobhead business thing and people, people are always trying to do businessy things and then there's a whole load of people and I think it's got much stronger or maybe I've just been paying more attention over the last 10 years that business is a force for good and if you go back to a lot of like 18th century you know stuff people wanted to like, like what's his name George in um, It's a Wonderful Life they wanted to make a business to help the community and grow this ecosystem and everyone gets good out of it but it seems it seems okay to be a conscientious business person now there wasn't but it seemed for a long time particularly under like the thatcher regime it was either or you know and what is what is business as a force for good yeah
1: no it's a really good question and you're right historically you know you think of roundtree and cabri and all these places were you know set up with a really strong sense of purpose and community so historically business had been a force for good and um, and then you know i guess world situations change that kind of uh, uh, moved that along a bit and now I think we've got to a stage whereby you know we're increasingly especially with just you know mass media we're increasingly aware of the challenges that we see um, all around the world both socially and environmentally and there's just naturally a growing movement people who just realise that we need to do things differently we're no longer in an age of abundance like in the industrial revolution in the industrial era where you know there was no sense of you know limit to natural resources. There was no sense of potential overpopulation or anything like that. So in those days, it was kind of normal that the dream was to, you know, grow and expand as much as possible and being able to travel independently and have your own car and, you know, have access to all of these um, amazing luxuries, which was totally fair enough. That's no longer the case. We've sort of got to a point where resources are at an absolute limit and population as well. So with that new context, I think it's just inevitable that people realise that we need to do differently And in times of challenges, the best ideas and opportunities for change happen. So I think it's a sort of perfect storm that there's a growing number of people just want to do it differently.
0: I, I was thinking, as we were doing this interview, like thinking about this interview, whatever we were thinking about. Um, is I've had enough coffee yet? Because it's about maybe 10ish years ago when we met, and it was that sharing economy revolution that was going on, and a lot of conversations I'm having at the moment are, you know, we're in a kind of you know the economy's breaking down and all that kind of stuff, and there was a 2008 Thing, which a load of things. I'm, you know, everyone knows my favourite thing is co-working. Co-working got like a, a nitrous injection shot out of the out of the out of the crash, and so many other things came out of there too. And it feels like the world's in that kind of place. But more people know how to handle it than did ten years ago. Do you think that's accurate? Is that the sense I you
1: totally get? I totally agree. I feel like in 2008, while few things came out of it, I think ultimately, at a macro scale, people lacked the imagination to imagine what could be done differently. So in a way, a lot of things just sort of you know the 2008 crash happened we all thought maybe things will be different and not that much really fundamentally changed at a at a large scale you know if you think of the kind of financial systems and the way the way that we work and I think it's because people couldn't think of an alternative of how to make things work I think over time this has now changed and people just do have a lot more imagination of an alternative way that we can do things and I think you need that so now we have the perfect sort of combination of a crash but also imagination of how we can do differently. So that is sort of a fantastic uh, combination of reasons for which now we can hope that things are going to change because we have an idea of, you know, a different way of operating. So I think now is just a really, really different experience to the um, crash of 2008. And people are just really sort of geared up towards doing things in a different way. And there's enough people who are ready to to work together and do that.
0: When, When you walk around saying impact investing, do you feel like you're like slogging, what's the word, you know flogging something called cool. is, is it like oh yeah I know what impact of it do people get it or cause yeah, it's, it's, it's really one of those good. it's one of those words that people say it and they go oh yeah impact investor I know what that is but it's it's bigger than that isn't it
1: yeah it's a, so I launched uh, my uh, uh second uh startup seed tribe in 2017 uh just got acquired by angel investment network and actually that's a really telling sign so seed tribe was a platform that connected impactful entrepreneurs with angel investors just 5 years ago I had to Explain to everyone what impact meant, what the UN sustainable development goals meant. That whole sort of concept of you know business as a force for good just was completely alien to the vast majority of people. They sort of thought it was philanthropy and just didn't get it. I would say still a lot of it's still it's still a sort of confusing term for a lot of people, but the growth has been unbelievable, which is why we've now, you know, it's part of a much broader, more um uh, uh agnostic platform called Angel Investment Network, because it is actually buying starting to become mainstream and whereas the word impact can be a little bit using actually when you break it down it's you know using your business model to address a social or environmental challenge and to really kind of give specific examples when you think of the environmental side I mean imagine the growth in things like battery power and renewable energy and you know any you know circular economy or anything that sort of improves the agricultural systems there's just really really real challenges that we have in the world that need to be done in a very different way. And there are very lucrative investment opportunities there. And so I think in sort of particularly on the environmental side, there's just a growing need for it. And that has been a really, really big trigger for the growth in that space. Same on the health side, right? So um, the pandemic meant that so much more healthcare became automated. It also brought a rise in the understanding and need for just better mental healthcare. And so, actually, again, you know, we were talking about a crisis a few moments ago. That's it again. It's just that crisis leads to a need, a, a different need in people, um, and sometimes that in a positive way.
0: It, yeah, it is. There's, it's you've got to be very careful. One never going. There's always a two in disaster. But there's, there's. I know, I know some people at the bottom of the social and economic scale who have just completely screwed by COVID. You know, a lot of there's a lot of jobs that are. I, th- I think it, it was in like Scott Galloway, who writes a lot about this in his book Post Corona. He said something like. Nine 90% of the jobs that pay over $80,000 a year can be done, you know, in a laptop, you know, in your home. And you, and if, you, if you're you earning that type of money, you can have a dedicated room and a nice Herman Miller chair and it's, you know, pretty cushy life. And then a lot of the jobs that are, you know, $20,000 and under. You have to be there in person and they were the first to be cut. So there's there's a lot of, you know, I don't know many people that didn't do well out of the COVID furlough starting it, particularly people in tech businesses just exploded. Um, and then there's a lot of, there's a bit of society that are, just worse off than ever so i always have to be conscientious of that too
1: i completely agree and i didn't mean that that
0: was a great thing oh no i didn't i didn't mean that i was just i was just acknowledging that thing yeah
1: no no i i totally agree and actually during lockdown i was involved in a lot involved in a lot of social projects and conversations around you know how we imagined what we imagined the impacts of covid might be and initially in my little sort of bubble of you know a comfortable home and access to you know in the internet and the ability to work remotely and connect with more people around the world oh, it was brilliant and it was really interesting actually being involved in a lot of conversations people who were sort of social workers or working um in charities sort of linked to sort of social housing etc just the amount of uh exclusion the amount of sort of you know uh, just violence depression uh, lack of ability for kids to be able to access education because people didn't have access to um to the internet or to enough computers in the house. It was these real sort of basic, what now feels like basic needs, you know, internet and a computer that so many people didn't have access to. And it was really, really heartbreaking to see that divide that really just made things even worse. You don't, it's really hard to recover from that. Um, So I agree. And I would say that that is one area in my world of looking at impact entrepreneurship that I still see is really, really underdeveloped is that. um, social leveler theme, you know, of social inclusion. It's really, it's the heart of entrepreneurship that I see being the least developed. And that's partly because when you're trying to create products that support financial inclusion, your business model is so much more complicated because you're having to get other people, you know, corporate programs, etc., to sort of fund uh, support in those socioeconomic groups. And it's just so much more complex to make it happen. So I'm sad that not only did that, did COVID sort of, um, was COVID a great divider? But in addition to that, there's just not much imagination on how we can help in that situation.
0: Yeah, there's, um, I've always thought a bit nuts in like in, in Old Street. There's, I mean, I've got to know even more about this because there's a in the White Collar factory, there is a co working space called Town Square, which is a collaboration between Islington Council and Town Square, which is the co working company. And it's so basically, there's a thing called Section 106, I think it is, where a developer needs to give part of the building more social value. And Town Square actively, rec- it could just be. Filled in two seconds by you know nice white men like me with their tech companies, chain three to four hundred pound a desk. But it, it, it seeks people from the local area. So probably I've always known that area, but um in the last two years I've got a much better understanding of what actually you know, who people are in that area. And they run a thing called Startup Club, and there's so many people who so every I think it's like a twelve week program for people who live in the local area, uh, and actually like long time residents there to come and start their business. And some of them start you know, people start all, all start all sorts of things. And and a lot of those people didn't really know they were allowed to come to the white collar factory, even though it's in their neighbourhood. And no one in the white collar, you know, Durant, whoever it is who owns it, no one's, no, none of those people are like, you know, actively pushing them away. But there's, there's there's a difference between an invitation and an announcement. And now people are in that building. And over oh, the, the object is over time that you know the economic engine of that local area will come from the people as well as all the other good stuff that happens in that area. But it's it's such a tricky, it's a really hard job. It's,
1: yeah, it's really hard because as you. Said, say, people don't even realize that they are—they have a mission to go there. So I think it's a really tricky one. And I think, um, you know, on the subject of sort of rac- uh, and racism or exclusion, it's really hard because people like us think that we're not racist, because we're happy to speak to everyone. The reality is, it's upon us to go out of our way to, ha- you know, bring in diversity and help people feel like they have a voice and that they're heard, and that they belong. And so I think we comfortably feel like we'll do as long as we're not doing anything bad everything is okay but i think it's really important to I, I love the idea of that co-working space that proactively go out into the community and bring people into it because it needs a lot of proactive work of us privileged people helping redress that balance rather than just sitting back and going well i didn't do anything wrong i'm okay that's um, that's yeah. a, that
0: is a very you know very accurate way of describing that because you know i don't do anything wrong but you know there's more you know there's more more i could do and something else i'll, I'll put a link in the show notes that the town square and there's some people from the town- London Slack channel who are residents in that town square place. So, something I wanted to definitely, definitely ask you, and I'm conscious of our time is, what is the difference in the, and I know there is a difference, between, you know, when you were raising money in 2012, 2013 and what happens now? Because my my uninformed thing is that you know, 2012, everyone was like intoxicated with my other startup, as a startup, and there was all, everyone was like sharing economy and tech, 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 tech and it kind of, you know, got a bit obsessive, and then I feel in the last five years, everyone ran that old street areas just taking a chill pill and got a bit more sophisticated and conscientious but and then there's I can't remember where I heard it but it used to be like everything was like SoftBank and blackstone and now there seems to be more smaller funds that are much more conscientious and is, is that is that my is that my imagination and how is it working nowadays
1: yeah so there's definitely a sort of absolutely I think sophistication of it all is a really good way to frame it and there are an increasing number of funds that are sort of special increasing number of accelerators and incubators and an increasing number of funds, um, a growing number of angel investors as well. Um, and the angel investors, I would say, are sort of divided broadly into the sort of original angel investors like we saw in our day 2012, where it was just people back in poor. the day, in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, you know, were maybe you sort of rich bankers, high net worth individuals who sort of fancy putting money into something. You now, in addition to the high net worth, you also have a whole load of entrepreneurs, you into to their startups and want to now uh, reinvest into the next generation of startups. And that is, of course, just by sheer force of time, um, a, a growing segment. And those guys also go up to set up funds, etc. So there's a lot of sort of sophisticated, uh, active money, um, as well as the sort of maybe more passive money that there was around. And in terms of funds, because it's sort of, it becomes a self solving prophecy. I think one thing about the UK, which is pretty amazing is the SEIS and EIS, the tax breaks for investor for people to invest into startups and that idea that there's a massive tax break and it really really reduces your risk in case there's a downfall in case it goes wrong and you don't pay too much tax in case it goes really really right and that has really gone a really long way in fostering an entrepreneurial ecosystem in the UK and that just becomes this sort of soul-fulfilling virtuous circle of there's more startups they become more sophisticated in certain ways it's harder to raise money because there's so much competition of absolutely amazing startups there's also a lot more noise, and the investors have become a lot more sophisticated and a lot busier as well. So I'd say it's kind of spiralled up the quality on both sides. Um, so there's more noise, but if you can stand out, there's also a lot of money around and increasing specialised, which is helpful because it helps you grow your network and you get sort of specialist advice as well as money. Yeah,
0: the, what, what do you think? Um, I don't want to ask this question, but I do like what, what do you think is going to happen in the next few years? Because there's this, you know, there's, there's a co- I've never in my life seen a co- to live in crisis like we have now and you know we, we've always been environmentally conscious in our thing but now we're like you know turn off lights and checking apps for stuff like this and you know in the you know in the co-working industry the the profit margins have just been annihilated by electricity and all this kind of stuff and then and then it's like we're going to have a recession and we're not going to have a recession i would all be you know i never i never know who really believe but like what's your gut feel for the next few years
1: gosh my gut feel is that we're going to continue to really increase innovative in how we create alternative realities of how we run business, how we operate in the world. And um, I think there's a part of me which sort of is worried about those masses amount of people who consume news at such a huge rate, because I find that news is one of our most toxic poisons that just disempowers people and makes them feel really pessimistic about the world. And then you have the world of entrepreneurs, and maybe people who don't read so much news. And for me, my world is just filled with just hope and optimism and opportunity, because every time there's a challenge, I see a new entrepreneur coming up with some super cool innovative solution to make it happen. And I think um, it relies upon those innovators to shout out. And we were talking just earlier, uh, you and I, all about um, the need to essentially role model and inspire people um, to um, to. see that you know there are other doing things that they might be able to do things as well and i think it's really really important to have a voice around all of the incredible uh, innovative uh you know startups and businesses that are growing you know think about the tech space there's so much cool stuff about people using mycelium that is you know bringing more uh to the soil that is then producing better quality better yields produce that is more nutritious while the soil is also healthier so it's absorbing a lot more carbon and it's just this unbelievable sort of positive loop of goodness for the environment and for our health and you just see that happening at every level you know there's sort of education the more is the more education is broken the more there's credible um opportunities for people to create you know platforms that help kids you know connect all around the world and learn from each other and create sort of collaborative projects with uh, you know you know new ways to to work together So I think that sense of necessity driving innovation as well as the need for collaboration gives me really great hope. And the more we see successes in there, that will be another virtuous circle of improvement. But I would say that that relies on being vocal about the constructive, positive things that are happening so that people see that it's not just a doom and gloom that this portrays.
0: Um, That's exactly where I am. I, I I have the luxury of being connected to a lot of people around, particularly in Europe and you know London and your co-working ecosystem and I go to, go to go to lots of like little conferences and that almost exactly what you just said is the energy with a lot of people there and they're not they're not delusional when you know they haven't had too much coffee they're like in my in my little town in Spain or in my little town in Italy this is happening we're doing this um we got like six people together in our co-working space and they started to do this and these are not big shiny buildings they're they're like communities of people that are interested in starting something you know a lot of the town square um co-working spaces are in like you know wrexham and bogner regis and you know they're not in new york london paris it, and i think people were i think it was happening not even, i know it was happening anyway but because people it became okay to work remotely people stayed in their community um you know I, I don't live there anymore but i moved country but you know when i was in ilford the sense of community in ilford which is hardly the most glamorous place in london just blew up because people spent more time in there and in the workhive, the co-working space i was in people. People were more committed to their local area and each other, and there was that that vibration, if you like, that you were talking about. There It's like, you know, gone online in Livia, Was was the, was the best place to connect with you, track you down?
1: And um, so I I lost you for about thirty seconds there. Um, I'm afraid So only one of us <laughs> uh, got that that little bit. Um, but um, just just to sort of agree with you on that, I I think that's COVID also brought out, ironically, more of a sense of place because it is suddenly your community becomes where you live, and you can actually connect a lot better with people from there because we still need that offline connections. So I, I totally agree. Um, so to, to find me, so I'm, uh, you can find me on well on LinkedIn, Olivia Sibony. Um, and that sort of has all of the different places I sort of uh, operate. But essentially, broadly, it's either at the Department for International Trade, or so an entrepreneur from around the world who wants to move to the UK, um, or at my new um new startup I launched called Impact Amplified. And um, if your if your purpose driven and want help sort of accelerating the purpose that you're having and sort of being able to better engage people around you to join that journey and or if you're looking for
0: investment angel investment network and um, so any of the above it's all on all on my linkedin with, um, with impact investment how does that actually like if i'm someone seeking that type of help because what we just well, i don't want to leave it like impact investment oh no if, if i how would i get in touch with you because is it is there something i can come to or I'll just like ring you up and take you for a coffee and pick your brains like what, what's how because i obviously i used to hear things like this on a podcast and I'll be like, I'll never go in there, I don't know how to do it. How do, how do I get in touch?
1: Um, I would say message me on LinkedIn. It's probably going to be the easiest place and I will be happy to send you information, you know, sort of answer questions. I'd say very broadly, if you're looking for impact investment, my top tip, um, if you, you know, it, it, my top tip is have a, make sure you have a business that is genuinely sort of financially viable. Um, you know, impact investment is not philanthropy. People still need to make a return. But the, the additional lens is that you need to make sure Sure, that your um KPIs tell the story of impact you're having as well as that sort of uh, financial upside. So there's an extra sort of layer on top, and it's really important both of them are perfectly um aligned to each other so that the more impact you have in the world, the more money you make. Um and you're driven by that purpose, but the money is sort of it underpins it. That that would be my top tip on how to go about sort of positioning yourself for impact investment. If you want to, if you want to reach investors, go to Angel Investment Network We've got an impact section there. We've got a female founder section there, um, but it's also a global network that connects entrepreneurs all around the world. So if you have questions on, you know, how you could do it, drop me a line, and might be able to help. My consultancy impact amplified, or connect you with other people in the network. I'm nice.
0: gonna we'll put a link in the show notes to all those things, folks. And if you are hearing this somewhere else, um, go to techlondon.io, and there's a very very actual Slack channel there of London centred creators and startup folks like that. And if you're listening to this in the Slack channel, and we're always... Looking for stories of London centered creators and starters and independent economic agents and founders. Um, so just send me a DM in the Slack channel.